Today is Sunday, June 26, 2015. Imagine a secret underground military base in which a firefight breaks out between humans, reptile people, and gray aliens. It sounds like something from a bad science fiction film, yet there are many who believe this really happened in New Mexico in 1979. We have that story on the 94th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. Whether you're a human, from an ancient reptile race, or from another planet, I'm so glad you're with me today. You know, you only have six weeks left to enter the Coffee with Jeff mug contest. For your chance to win a free Coffee with Jeff mug, just send me an email at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com and say, I want to win a damn mug. Suppose you can also use Facebook and Twitter for that purpose. We will pick the winner on my 100th episode. Hey, what are you waiting for? So on today's show... Oh wait, UFO news. A few weeks ago, Psycon's own John Matthews sent me an email with something he heard and thought it might be good for this segment. He wrote... So I heard on another podcast a passing comment that conspiracy theorists who claim that if they ever died by an apparent suicide, the government did it, actually ended up dead by an apparent suicide. Specifically mentioned was the survivor of the Dolce Underground Wars. Well, thanks for that, John Matthews. This did get me into looking up the Dolce base, and that led me to Phil Schneider, and then to Paul Benowitz, then to Greg Bishop, and from that, uh, you get the idea. I went down the internet rabbit hole. Anyway, it turned into something more than just a quick bit for the beginning of the podcast. It's a story I found fascinating, and it became the whole episode. I hope you enjoy it, because it was a fun one to write. This is a longer story than usual, so let's get right into it. The story of how the legend of Dolce Base and all the stories that surround it came to be. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick it. And I'm all out of bubble gum. Dulce, New Mexico is a small town of under 3,000 residents, most of which are Native Americans. 
In the 1970s, the area around Dulce was plagued with unexplained cow mutilations. Cattle found mutated without blood, organs that appeared to be carefully removed, and cuts in the skin that were so precise, many believed they were made by lasers. Some blamed these mutilations on the U.S. military, while others believe an alien presence on our Earth was responsible. Near the town of Dulce, on the Colorado-New Mexico border, there is a secret underground government facility known as the Dulce Base. Now you might ask yourself, just how secret could it be if it's on Coffee with Jeff? Well, I can't answer that, but its existence is real to many UFOologists. According to the UFO researcher and author of the book The UFO Highway, Anthony F. Sanchez, the Dulce base is real and what goes on there is a little bit more than just research and development. The Dulce base is dumb. Or should I say it is a dumb? Or D-U-M-B. You see, dumb is an acronym used by conspiracy theorists for deep underground military bases. And I found that a bit charming. According to legend, the facility is at least seven layers deep, level one being for security and communications, level two being for human staff housing. Yes, level two is only for intelligent beings from this planet. If you're from another planet, you must go to a lower level. On the third level is the executive offices and labs. And then things get a little weird when we get to level four, because that's where the mind control experiments are conducted. Just below that on level five is more housing, but this is for non-human intelligence. You know, little green men from other worlds and possibly lizard people, I'm not sure. Level six is for genetic experiments, which also contains something known as Nightmare Hall. And the last level is for cryogenic storage, I guess, if you want to take a nap or something, huh? There is also an underground transportation system that connects this facility to other underground bases. So what goes on in this place? Well, it depends who you listen to, but one thing is certain. There are humans and gray aliens, or maybe two different races of extraterrestrials, grays and reptilians. Or maybe the reptilians are actually an ancient earthly race, I don't know, but whatever. They work together for, well, again, that depends on who you listen to. But allegedly, the humans are getting technological information from the aliens, and in exchange, they give the aliens human subjects to experiment on. Who are these human subjects? Well, anyone that has gone missing without a trace, that's who. I mean, you might have seen their pictures on milk cartons in the 80s. According to Anthony F. Sanchez, in the areas around the base, strange mutant creatures have been seen, possibly strange genetic experiments that have somehow escaped from the base, like 10-foot-tall creatures with bat wings and such. From all the accounts I've read, horrible, horrible stuff goes on under the ground in New Mexico. So, how did all this get started? Oh, not the base and aliens, but the story of the base and aliens. I mean, if this base is so secret and obviously something the government, or more like it, the real rulers of the world, someone like the Illuminati, doesn't want us to know about, then how did this all become popular human knowledge? Well, that all started with a man named Paul Benowitz. 
Greg Bishop is an author, UFO researcher, and radio show host. He wrote a book called Project Beta about Paul Benowitz and the Dulce base. Now, as I understand it, while Greg Bishop is a UFO believer, he didn't believe that the secret base actually existed when he began writing the book. And although now he believes that there is some sort of a base there, it's probably for some other purpose than to house aliens. And for the record, I didn't read his book. But I did listen to a couple of extensive interviews he has given over the years, and the following was what I got from those interviews, along with other various bits of information about Paul and Dulce. Am I right? Am I wrong? In a story like this, who knows what's right and what's wrong? But our story begins about 1979 with Paul Benowitz. Now, Paul isn't living anymore, but he was an electrical physicist who started a very successful company called Thunder Scientific. Thunder Scientific makes humidity calibration equipment and other high-tech products and sells equipment to many high-profile clients, including the United States government. He was very intelligent and, and had an interest in UFOs. He lived near Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Kirkland is not a secret base, but what goes on inside the base is a secret, and trespassers are not allowed. Now, at one time, Paul met a woman who claimed to have seen a cow being taken up by a flying saucer or something like that. She had lost her memory of what happened next. And through regression therapy, which is a technique that uses hypnosis to recover forgotten memories, she learned that she was taken to an underground base with gray aliens. And this planted the idea in Paul's head that there were underground bases in or around Dulce, New Mexico. Now, Paul had noticed strange lights over Kirkland Air Force Base, lights that seemed to fly up and around in ways that planes are not supposed to do. He began creating electronic receivers and antennas and recording equipment to see if he could figure out just what was going on. And he began to pick up strange signals, codes which he could not identify. And of course, at the base, there were secret experiments going on. Some say anti-gravity experiments. But whatever it was, these strange lights were probably part of it. So when Benowitz went to the base and told them of what he was seeing and recording, they became very concerned. Colonel Richard Doddy and an assistant met with Benowitz. He showed them all of his photographs and the recordings that he had made. And they invited him back to the base and Paul gave a presentation of what he had seen. He was very open and honest, thinking he was doing the right patriotic thing. To some at the Air Force Base, this was an immediate concern. Now, as the story goes, Dottie began to feed Benowitz with stories of aliens and gave him some sort of translating machine, which he said would translate the alien transmissions. But of course, the transmissions were really being created by men at the Kirkland Air Force Base. When Benowitz said that he thought there was an underground base near Dulce, this was perfect. Dolce would take Benowitz off Kirkland and the government experiments that were going on there. And apparently at one point, they took Benowitz up in a helicopter above the Dolce base and pointed out features of the base from above. Now, why was the government doing this, feeding false information to Benowitz? Well, according to Greg Bishop, it was a program of misinformation. 
bases like Kirkland, who conducted secret military experiments, are a target for UFO believers who misinterpret the experiments as an alien presence. And if a spy wanted to check out the base, they could do so by posing as a UFO enthusiast. By feeding Paul false information, it would mask what was really going on there, and they could also trace the information to see if Paul was actually passing it on and to whom he was passing it on to. And Paul ate this up, believing every word. But here's the thing about Paul. He wasn't the most stable person in the world. Over the next few years, he would be put in mental institutions at least three times before his death in 2003. Now, since the government had never made Paul sign any type of confidentiality agreement, Paul figured he was free to tell the world, and that's what he did. Now, Greg Bishop, who wrote the book on Paul Benowitz, claims to have interviewed all those involved and confirmed that this is what the government did to feed Benowitz wild tales of aliens below the ground. But of course, Bishop was being told this story by the same men who allegedly lied to Benowitz. So how trustworthy is his story? Well, I can't say, but whether it is true or not, it doesn't matter. Benowitz believed all of this, and in 1988, he wrote a paper entitled Project Beta, detailing the Dolce base and what was going on there. Then he would take his ideas to the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, which is a group of UFO researchers, and apparently they regarded him as a deluded paranoid, but still, the ideas of a secret base with strange alien-human experiments had been seeded in the UFO community. And that brings us to Thomas Edwin Costello. Costello claimed to have been a security guard at the Dolce base. Now, the thing is, I couldn't find any real information on just who this man was, except that he did an interview that is now famous in the UFO community. In it, he gives details of just what went on at the base and how it was constructed. And it's way too much information for me to detail on the show, but here's a few of the points. The base was started in 1937 or 38 using some natural tunnels that already existed. Reptilian humanoids called the Draco used the caverns and tunnels for centuries. Now here's one of the quotes from the interview. Some reptoids are native to this planet. The ruling caste of aliens are reptilian. The beige or white beans are called the Draco. The other reptilians are green and some are brown. They are an ancient race on Earth, living underground. It may have been one of the draconian beings that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Reptoids rightly consider themselves native Tarians. Perhaps they are the ones we call fallen angels. Maybe not. Either way, we are considered the squatters on the Earth. He goes on to say that the gray-skinned aliens work for and are controlled by the Draco. It's a very long question and answer interview, and I'll have the link to a transcript on the Coffee with Jeff show notes. Who was Thomas Edwin Costello? I can't say, and it seems the UFO community can't either. It's not even clear if he really existed. If he did, he either disappeared or living in exile under an assumed name, 
or he's dying, or he's dead of cancer. I'm not really sure. But that brings us to Philip Schneider. Phil was a real man. He's dead now, and he died under mysterious circumstances. Phil was born on April 23rd in 1947 to Oscar and Sally Schneider. In 1963, Philip went to Lincoln High School in Portland, Oregon, and according to his high school transcripts, he had an IQ of 163. After high school, he attended four years at Duke University. Schneider stated that he was a geologist and former military engineer. Now, before we get started with his story, now apparently, and this is according to his ex-wife, Cynthia Dreyer, he was injured in some sort of accident. In the early 1980s, Paul had to go on medical disability. She said, and I quote, He was so injured he couldn't do any more work and his memory is like totally lost to what he did before. She goes on to say that it was only after he stopped taking his medication that he began to remember all those things that did happen in the past. That's what we're going to talk about, those things that Phil spent the rest of his life warning us humans about. To get an idea of just who Phil was, well, when he first met his future wife, he explained to her that the Space Shuttle Challenger tragedy, which had just recently happened, was due to it being shot by a cosmosphere high in orbit around the Earth, apparently controlled by the Russians, because a non-military person was aboard. At least I think that's what happened. Anyway, the story that Phil ended up saying was that in 1979, he was hired at the Dolce base to go down holes and check rock samples and recommend explosives to deal with particular rock. At some point, he came across a group of gray aliens, and he did what a person would do when they came across an extraterrestrial life form. He took out his gun and began shooting, and he got two of them. Now, in the cavern with him were about 30 military men, and a gunfight began. Soon, 20 more humans came rushing down, and by the end, everybody but Phil and a couple others were dead. Now, one of the aliens shot some sort of laser plasma ball or something at Phil and hit him right in the chest, it also, and it also blew off a couple of his fingers. He said he was saved by a Green Beret who allegedly gave his life for Phil. He said in one of his talks, Anyway, I got shot in the chest with one of their weapons, which was a box on their body. That blew a hole in me and gave me a nasty dose of cobalt radiation. I have cancer because of that. If you see a picture of Phil, he does have a scar on his chest and it appears that a few of his fingers are missing. Of course, like I said, something did seem to have happened to him before, some sort of accident, before he began to remember what happened at Dolce Base. Was it a firefight with aliens that caused his injury? Or was it something his brain concocted while under medication? I can't say. Now here's the thing. When you consider the fact that Phil was brought in just to take rock samples and suggest explosives for making new tunnels and started a firefight with aliens that was totally unnecessary, he learned quite a bit about the base over the years. 
a secret government base, and if this is a true story, it concerns me about the security steps our government takes when it brings in civilian contractors. He said, Back in 1954, under the Eisenhower administration, the federal government decided to circumvent the Constitution of the United States and form a treaty with the alien entities. It was called the 1954 Grenada Treaty, which basically made the agreement that the aliens involved could take a few cows and test their implanting techniques on a few human beings, but that they had to give great details about the people involved. Slowly, the aliens altered the bargain until they decided that they wouldn't abide by it at all. Damn sneaky aliens. You see, in a trade for extraterrestrial technology, the aliens could test their implanting techniques on selected humans. However, the aliens had to keep the government informed of just who they were doing these experiments on. But over time, they altered the bargain, abducting and implanting thousands of people without reporting back to the United States government. He also said, Later, we found out that they had been living on our planet for a long time, perhaps a million years. This could explain a lot of what is behind the theory of the ancient astronauts. Now, if this couldn't get any stranger, according to Phil, his father was Captain Otto Oscar Schneider. He was a captured Nazi U.S. boat commander who became a captain in the United States Navy. From Nazi to captain in the U.S. Navy. Anyway, apparently he worked in nuclear medicine and helped to design the first nuclear submarine. And even more strange, it was his father who discovered alien implants in the bodies of those that participated in the infamous Philadelphia experiment. Paul claimed that after he went public with the story, there were at least 19 attempts to stop him and those included assassination attempts. According to Phil's ex-wife, Philip always told his friends and relatives that if he ever committed suicide, you would know that he had been murdered. On January 17, 1996, Phil's friend Al Pratt, along with the manager of the apartments Phil lived in, and a detective from the county sheriff's office, entered Phil's apartment. Inside, they found the body of Philip Schneider, who had been dead for at least five days. The county coroner's office initially attributed Philip Schneider's death to a stroke, but eventually it was determined that Phil had committed suicide by wrapping a rubber catheter hose three times around his neck and half-knotting it in front. There are many mysterious circumstances surrounding his death, making a lot of people including his ex-wife, who had separated with Phil before he died, to come to the conclusion that he was murdered for what he knew. Of course, Phil had been talking about all these secrets for a long time. In fact, there are hours of video taken while he was on his lecture tour that are available on YouTube in which Phil tells his whole story. So isn't killing him after the fact sort of like closing the gates after the cows have wandered off? America, take a good look at your beloved candidates. They're nothing but hideous space reptiles. Oh. It's true, we are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? 
It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. Why? This is a two-party system. Well, I believe I'll vote for a third-party candidate. Go ahead. Throw your vote away. <laughs> I don't understand why we have to build a ray gun to aim at a planet I never even heard of. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old goal and listen to the sad sack. So that's it. All the nonsense that's been written or the thousands of videos on YouTube about this great battle that took place in Dolce and how a ruling class of reptiles controls the world and all that stuff started with the three men I just spoke about. One thing I did not want to do on the show was make fun of Phil Schneider or Paul Benowitz. Although I don't know for sure, I suspect, and this is just my opinion, that both these men had some sort of mental issue. What kills me is just how many people actually believe these stories, believe these two men, and they believe it with a fierce passion like you wouldn't believe. If you go to any UFO conspiracy website and read the comments, you'll be surprised about how seriously these two men's stories were taken. After one of Phil Schneider's lectures that appeared on YouTube, somebody wrote underneath, This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody comes along who isn't a little brainwashed sheep and decides to expose the truth of what really takes place on this planet. You get killed for it. There was something I thought funny. I listened to a podcast called The Kate Valentine UFO Show from 2013. She interviewed Anthony F. Sanchez, the author of The UFO Highway, a book which he interviews a mysterious Colonel X. He also talks about all the usual stuff, you know, the true history of mankind, the greys, the great Dulce base, Dumbs, the Illuminati, cattle and human mutilations, abductions, the shadow government, and Phil Schneider, all that stuff. Anyway, at one point he says he wants to make a big announcement. Apparently, two people were actively looking into making his book, The UFO Highway, into a major motion picture. And he says, and I quote, If that happens, can you imagine the outcry from the United States military and this Illuminati cabal that exists out there? I mean the fact that we're even talking about, on a mainstream nationwide level, about a deep underground military base where Greys are working in collusion with the United States Air Force, the Navy, the Army, the Marines, not to mention subcontractors, uh, you know, government subcontractors. This is, you know, this is going to be a groundbreaking film. I don't think I need to say any more. And now the ending credits. We at PsyCon could really use your help in keeping our podcasts going. You should think about becoming a sponsor at our Patreon page. Just go to PsyCon.fm for more information. And sincerely, thanks to all of you who already support the show. Speaking of PsyCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. I know I talk about the history files a lot, but just recently, 
Gordon and Nancy did a show I really loved. Gordon read a letter from his grandfather who was a yeoman on the USS New Jersey in May of 1916. It was a wonderful time capsule explaining the ups and downs of life in the US Navy during World War I. I highly recommend it. In fact, I recommend all of our other great shows at SciCon.fm. That's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. Just to say hi, just to tell me what I've got wrong, whatever. I'll answer your email, and don't forget to enter my contest to win a mug. You can follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome and always needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, and I understand that, then just go over to iTunes and leave a review. I'm still holding at seven reviews. I could use a few more. They really do help. And remember, all the links to the sources that I used to write the story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter and wherever. You folks always will have a special place in my heart. Until next week, so long. Coffee with Jeff Coffee Coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee Coffee with Jeff I once knew He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around she drank tea, but that was okay. She was the dawn of Jeff's new day. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled with change. Sometimes your plans get rearranged. He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee on coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee